Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. I'm Tracy Jones and Heather Noble is jet-setting this week, so it's down to me to have a search through our archives and I've come up with some gems. We start the show with the profile of Sean Coombs, which is from our most listened to podcast so far. We have a look back at a review of Freakonomics and a profile of Zig Ziglar. We revisit the review of one of my favourite books, TED Talks Storytelling, and finish the episode with a profile of Stephen Covey. The business leader that I'm going to profile this week, it's Sean Coombs. Sean John Coombs, actually, born 4th of November 1969 in New York. And he's the CEO of Bad Boy Worldwide Entertainment Group. It's a company with several streams of income. And Sean oversees an empire that includes music recording, production, TV, film, alcoholic beverages, apparel, restaurants and more. You might know him as Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, Puff, Puffy Diddy, or even Brother Love. Yes, it's the rapper, singer, songwriter, record producer, record executive actor and entrepreneur that is Sean Coombs. In 2018, Forbes estimated his net worth to be $825 million and his earnings in 2018 were estimated at $65 million. Now, Sean Coombs credits his success to a business lesson he learned at the age of 12. He says he started his business career at age 12 delivering newspapers. He had a lot of elderly customers, so he would always put the newspaper in between the screen door and the door. And that caring made me different. It made me better than the last paperboy now in the UK. Doesn't mean so much to me, but what I take is he's giving good service. I don't know about the screen door and the door, but presumably he went one step further than the previous paperboys. Coombs went on to say that if I give the customers my best service and give it to them differently, whether it's music, clothing or vodka, I'll get a return on my hard work. And he appears to apply that same emphasis onto everything that he's done. He seems to have quite a wide portfolio of income streams, as we said, and he applies that same level of service and quality to each of them. In an article in the Washington Post, um, it says that music made him famous, but this is what made him rich. Sean Coombs says, I've always been a businessman first, even when I pursue my passion in the music industry, I do it from the perspective of an entrepreneur. And when he was asked about vodka, he was asked about the need to make the brand stand out because obviously vodka is a clear, reasonably tasteless drink. And clearly you need to sell it based on something other than its taste and flavour. I'm not a big vodka drinker, as you can tell, so I don't really know what it is that you would buy vodka for. Sean went on to explain that the thing that people don't understand is that the only way you can be successful with your branding is if you have a great product to sell. If people go home and they aren't happy, that won't work. Your product has to stand up for itself. And so one of the products, Ciroc Vodka, Sean says that's a supreme product. And he also goes on to say that Revolt TV is also a supreme product. Presumably, Sean Coombs is a man of many brands. 
which leads me on nicely to another article that I found on the Forbes website. It talks literally about the many brands of Sean Coombs and says that there are lessons for other entrepreneurs and for other brands to learn from in terms of how he can manage to build such a diverse brand portfolio with all of them being successful in lots of different niches. They say that he was able to leverage his celebrity status, which is clear. He attracted attention through his music skills and and his output there to go into the other brands and of business. And he knew that he could use his influence, but knew that that only went so far. He had the nouse to know that he needed to develop his business skills and to be able to build the brand empire. And from what I can see, he's pulled in experts to help him with this, but he is central entrepreneur to this. Brand extensions worked well for him. So he can make sense for a brand um, by adding additional product lines. So if it appeals to the same sort of people in the same sort of way, offers the same brand attributes that attracted the initial customers to a product, that means that he can expand his portfolio. He seems to have got it absolutely right. And looking at all the different brands, the lessons there are on building your core and then using those core strengths to to expand and, and to build it around the key attributes and the things that are resonating with your target audience. Absolutely agree with that. And they say it's possible to create a brand portfolio that crosses multiple industries as long as there is an overall brand strategy that guides the strategic process. Now, there's loads of other things I could find about Sean Coombs, but they're all, you know, the sort of the celeb gossip. And I think actually there is this core of the person that is a really, really good entrepreneur. And I tried not to get distracted by all of the noise around his marriages and his his music world. But there are a couple of things that I noted. Um, He he hasn't been short of controversy with some of his companies. Um, So the the clothing company that he started, Sean John, um, they were violating some labour laws in Honduras. There were other issues about um, using um, animals in the products. He's dealt with them all. I think it's a raccoon dog fur, actually. (laughs) Jackets made with dog fur. but he dealt with them. And, and what I can read is, you know, a big fuss wasn't made. He actually laid down his his thoughts on this and then let his team sort it out. I'm All credit to him. I think, you know, he's a really, really interesting guy. Whether you like his music or not, I think there's a lot to be said for his skills. Um, at the moment, one of the things that he's working on is... Um, refreshing calorie-free beverage for athletes and he's teamed up with actor Mark Wahlberg to uh, to do this particular project so I think there's a lot more to come from him he's clearly not old he's clearly got plenty of money and loads of ideas so I'll be very interested to see where this takes him um, now quotes let's have a think of quotes here that he I used a lot of quotes in the show but I think the one that I'm going to choose to end this show with this week Yeah, I've got to agree with this one. You have to be somewhat crazy if you want to be successful. That's P. Diddy, Sean Coombs to you. It's time for our book review. And this week, we're looking at a book that um, that 
is interesting in, in, in many ways. Uh, it's a book that my husband has read. And I remember when he was reading it, he used to um, read out excerpts to me. Uh, and the essence of the book, the book is called Freakonomics. You might have heard of it. Um, and the essence of the book is around um, helping us to make better decisions. And it's showing us how data is used to exploit us, really. Uh, and uh, manipulate us, with, sometimes without us even noticing. Um, the book is by a guy called Stephen Dubner, and the types of questions and statements that it that it poses are: Why do people donate more money to the bagel man when it's sunny? I guess that's the guy who's begging. Um, what you should do when your car dealer says it's now or never. What happens when people don't upload upload a picture on dating sites? And how our brain wants to jump to immediate conclusions. It also poses the question, why do we worry a lot more about dying in a plane crash than in a car accident? And all things in between. Um, Freakonomics is uh, is reviewed on the 4-Minute Books website, which is um, one of our favourite book review websites. And it, it talks about three different themes. There are three key lessons. The first one is there are three kinds of incentives that dominate your life's choices, economic, social and moral. Uh, and they go on to talk about um, the more that um, the more types of incentives are joined together. So if it's economic and social, then the more powerful the incentive gets. Uh, they talk about experts being incentivized to abuse us that they know more than we do. So they position themselves as an expert, therefore, we're, and then we're more likely to listen to them. So if I tell you I'm an expert in something, you're, 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 you're more than likely to believe me um, without challenging that. And the third, if I can find it, is just because two things happen simultaneously doesn't mean that one causes the other. And I know, Tracy, that's one of the ones that sort of stands out for you. You have a copy of this book. What do you think of it? Honestly? Okay, I hate it. Oh! <gasps> I've said it, I hate it. I've had it for years and it was one of those popular books that everybody was reading um, a few years ago and it was on my wish list and I started to read it thinking this is brilliant. And as you can see, the book is fairly pristine and most yeah. books that I own are not pristine because I will return to them, I'll make notes in them, I'll the spine will get broken I might have lent it to somebody and it's it's come back this one I had to dig around for it in the um, <laughs> bookshelf and it was I'd get all the dust off it and start again and clearly I've tried to read it three or four different times and um, so I tried this week knowing I got a deadline thing feeling really pleased with myself that one of the books we were reviewing I actually had a hard copy of and I could sit and flick through it and I, I think I must have got to about the same point again. Uh, it falls open at page 67 very easily. OK. <laughs> oh, I couldn't get past it. I just can't warm to it. And I'm in the minority. So if you, if you look at Amazon, um, the reviews are, are largely uh, positive. 46% uh, um, give five stars. 25% give four stars. Even 17 give three stars. And then down two and one stars is 7% and 5%. I'm very definitely in the. If I could give it no stars, I maybe would. Oh, and wow. I just could not warm to it. I, I found it... Well, I didn't feel it was economics for a start. If you want yeah. to read economics, there are much better economics. 
I think if it had sold itself as a book, a sociology book, it might have sat better with me. But um, calling themselves rogue economists just didn't sit with me because I didn't think there was that much rogue about them. Right. And they, they were telling it like it is, but then... Um, a book that we reviewed a few weeks ago, a brand washed. I think that did it so much better. Yeah. And it's they they were talking about how you know advertising and and marketing can can actually influence you strongly. And this is very similar. It, it's it's more down that line. But I think brand washed did it better. Um, and I think if you want to really understand economics, there's better than this, especially with the the bit like you said about the causality. Um, and you know that difference between um you know just because something happens doesn't mean to say that that caused it yeah um so in many cases they they were saying that you know that that's a big problem you know the assumption that uh, this correlation is there between these two things hence one must have caused the other but there were a number of times in the book where they actually jumped to those sorts of conclusions themselves which <laughs> but you you know you've just, you've just jumped to a conclusion not, yeah. you've just made a link there which is you know, just off the top of your own head, you, you've 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 made this up, and because they're rogue economists, you know that they were allowed to say these things. Whereas, you know, maybe a non-rogue economist might have put more thought into it. I don't know. They they do back it up, which is really quite interesting. They put loads and loads of references in there here. So, having said they're rogue economists, they're very keen to justify their findings. So the notes are. Um, a, a big section right at the back of the book where they, they put all of their references to the research that they've done. So maybe they don't like being that rogue. But uh, anyway, so, sorry, I've, I've no, gone no, on a little okay. bit about how much I really don't like that book. No offence to anybody who gets it and loves it. It's very much a personal opinion, but there are better books on the economy than that. Do you think, though, that it is, if you if you came at it... Maybe it's the title. Maybe if if you come at it as not being about the economy and actually just being about, you know, mind the games world. and the world yeah. and, the, you know, that it, it, your expectation would be set differently. Therefore, it might have more appeal. Yeah, I, I think you've raised this with me before when I've been a, a bit sceptical about some self-help books. It's like actually, if this is the first time you've read about that, that might be mind-blowing. So yeah. some of the things that they mention in here, if you hadn't already read it in Brand Washed or somewhere yeah. else, you might have got, oh, actually, that's life-changing. So, yeah, I, yeah. I give you that one. Um, and, and I've studied some economics and I've you know formed some of my own opinions about economics many, many years back at university. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not really into traditional economics so much but I think if you want a, um, a good explanation of it Yanis Varoufakis explains it wonderfully well it, there's um, Yanis Varoufakis used to be the finance minister in Greece for a very short period of time but he writes brilliantly about um, the economy and one of his more recent books is called um, Talking to My Daughter About the Economy and it was written for his 12 year old daughter and uh, that's that really is pretty much my level with economics. Um, <laughs> but um, if, if it's OK, I'll just read you out a, a little section, which is why I think this book is, yeah, is more valuable than free economics. He says, as a teacher of economics, I have always believed that if you're not able to explain the economy in a language that young people can understand, 
understand, then quite simply, you are clueless yourself, which I've always thought about lots of things. You know, I, I've come from an IT and a finance background and jargon just creates yeah. a smokescreen. And if you can't explain something in layman's terms, then you've fallen for your own hype, really. Yeah. You should be able to explain it. And um, he then goes on to say, his book is his attempt to do the opposite of popularising economics. If it succeeds, this book should incite its readers to take the economy in their own hands and make them realise that to understand the economy, they also have to understand why the self-appointed experts on the economy, the economists, are almost always wrong. So he's more of a rogue economist than the guys who claim to be rogue economists. Ensuring that everyone is allowed to talk authoritatively about the economy is a prerequisite for a good society and a precondition for an authentic democracy. And I think that... The fact that he's saying you should you should explain the economy in layman's terms so that you know his twelve year old daughter can understand it, and you know in the same way as um, the two Stevens were talking in free economics, you know not relying on on the experts, he's he's talking from the the same angle, but he, he just does explain it really really right. well. Okay. And uh, I read it in one sitting, whereas it's taken me many years to not even get past the first chapter of free economics. <laughs> Okay, okay. So it's rather so, bold of me, but no, I hate it. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, and, and the the, the four-minute books guy not only liked the book, but he really liked the Blinkist um, um, version of the book. So he he was he was yeah he was he was raving about that. So maybe don't don't bother don't take my word. <laughs> yeah, don't take my word for it. But, um, Have a look on Blinkist and see what you think. Yeah, I thought four minute books. So he always gives a really good summary of these things, and I think the the takeaway elements of free economics from four minute books and and then perhaps from Blinkist are the valuable bits. Maybe the bit that I couldn't get on with was the way that they delivered the message. When we feature business gurus or motivational speakers or people who inspire us. So often they're people who have fairly recently learned, uh, achieved that accolade. But who we're talking about today is, it's a name that you probably will have seen attached to lots of quotes about positivity. Lots of quotes. Lots and Didn't lots. Didn't struggle to find a no, quote this could, week. In fact, it was very difficult to hone in on one. We're talking about Zig Ziglar. Um, he was an American, well, salesman really. Um, He was born in 1926 and he was a motivational speaker in the days before motivational speakers existed. He was a member in 1963 of the American Sales Masters um, organisation. It seems to me like the the speaking and the the salesman role were were wrapped into one with his career. Yes, yes, certainly. Because he essentially he would speak at conferences and at events guiding salesmen and women, although I imagine it was mostly salesmen in 1963, um, uh, through the National Association of Sales Executives on how to sell. In 1982, he wrote a book called The Secrets of Closing the Sale. And he did bring himself up to date in 2001. Uh, He wrote Network Marketing for Dummies. So he did keep himself abreast of um, changing uh, changes in the way that things are sold. He died in 2012. uh, But he 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 talks at length about what people you know, what matters to people and how you then use what matters to them uh, to sell to them. And he he 
he basically says, and this is something that I believe through and through, everyone is in sales, whether you're selling a product, idea, support of a cause or getting your child to eat greens. You we, you are always selling. We are always selling. The point at which we meet somebody, we are selling ourselves. Um, and he, he goes on to say, people will forget price, but they'll never forget poor quality or a poor choice. Um and they generally blame the salesperson for that. So, you know, get it wrong and um, and it sticks. And I th- that is so true because so often you'll say to somebody, this is nice or that's nice or what about this or where did you get? And they'll say, oh, how much was it? Oh, I can't remember. 300 quid, something like that. You know, they won't say it was £299.99. Um, it wasn't, an, or they'll say it wasn't much. But that if they've bought something and it was a total waste of money, they will say it was 299 quid and, it, it, you know, it's worth, you know, next to nothing. So he comes up with some really good rules and, and things to just keep in mind when you're uh, selling. Uh, yeah, uh, he's he's I didn't find out that much about the man. He, he was difficult yeah. to find out about him, wasn't it, Tracy? I I came away thinking that Zig Ziglar was more of a concept than the man. Mm-hmm. Um, he was actually born Hilary Hinton Ziglar, known as Zig Ziglar. But when when you do searches for Zig Ziglar, it's very much about the ideas and the books and the the talks that he did. Yeah, and not very much about the man himself. Mm-hmm. And you, if you go to the uh, Ziglar dot com website, there's very little about Zig there. Yeah, in, it's all about. Yeah, his son and the team that now run uh, the Ziggler, Zig Ziglar Corporation, um, you know, the, there's a lot about them. But Zig himself is, is, is almost a mythical character. It's like a concept, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just an idea. And um, so, yeah, he's described in most places as a salesman, a motivational speaker and an author um, in a, in another place. They, they um, described the fact that he um, he weaves in his beliefs his christian beliefs yes. into his talking and you know he he's uh, from what i saw it it didn't impinge too greatly but if you didn't like that style it wasn't wasn't going to be for you and also the thing that i picked up is that the way that he talks about sales does seem to be set in a particular period so one of the early books um which is called See You at the Top, was written in 1975. Um, and the one that's um, considered, um, uh, you know, sort of the handbook for um, sales people um, is it's full of really useful tips. So, so secrets of closing the sale. It, it's actually got persuasion techniques, which again seem a little bit outdated. Um, but I, th- I do think that they have influenced the way that um, salesmanship, saleswomanship has changed over the years. Um, and I, I was just thinking about this. And then I, I came across an article that said, you know, perhaps you want to read Daniel Pink uh, to sell as human instead. So, uh, and the two are equally valid, but set in very different times and I think if you if you read Zig Ziglar's stuff in the context of today without seeing when it was when it was written and you know in the time you might feel that it's a bit outdated but I I do believe that there are things that you can take from it and um, Seth Godin actually chose um, that book uh, Secrets of Closing and Sale as one of the seven audiobooks that will change your life Um, he said he's listened to the audiobook so many times 
that he, he wore out the cassettes. So wow. it must, must have been a few <laughs> years ago. And he had to order a new set. And, and he focuses on the lessons on goal setting and motivation and closing a, de- a, a deal. Um, and Seth said he's your grandfather and my grandfather. He's Tony Robbins' grandfather. And if it w- wasn't for Zig, none of us would be here. So it, he really did start something which has now evolved. And yes, you may prefer a book like To Sell as Human, but it started with Zig. Yes, he was there. Yeah, he was there. Back, you know, when it wasn't even a thing, it he was at the birth of motivational speaking and 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 this whole concept. I think um, there's no shortage of quotes no. from this can gentleman. I, can I do two? Go on then. Can I? Um, the first one is a funny one, but I I really like this one. Um, people often say that motivation doesn't last, but neither does bathing, which is why we recommend it daily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good, very good. Uh, and my other good? one, um, the, the more serious one, um, is lack of direction, not lack of time is the problem. We all have 24-hour days. Yeah, that is that is so true. Uh, it's really difficult to pick one. But I went for a lot of people have gone further than they thought they could because someone else thought they could. And I think we've all been given a break. We've all been given a chance at some time. And if you give people opportunity, they will usually rise to it. And I just think that's that's I think that's a really powerful one. Well, I'm pleased to say that this week's review is about a book which I absolutely loved. Um, In contrast to last week, and I do apologise, it's very out of character for me to be so bold as to be so (laughs) opinionated, uh, particularly about a book. Um, But I do acknowledge uh, everybody I've said it to went, I love that book. I I didn't mean to offend. Personally, I didn't like it. You're welcome to your own opinion. And you're entitled to yours. Yes, that's right. Um, It's it's still on my bookcase. I haven't burnt it or anything. It's just I'm not... (laughs) I'm not planning to carry on reading it. But this one was a delight and it was a complete surprise as well. Um, It popped in an email from Amazon about your Prime membership. You can get these free books. And I I, I sort of know this, but in the back of my head, but I, I do actually rely on those emails that come in occasionally to say, by the way, you know, you pay for Prime membership. Why don't you actually use mm. some of this stuff? And it was um, a link to a number of books and magazines that you could read for free. Um, and this one was called um, TED Talks Storytelling by Akash Karia. Karia? Karia? We don't know. K-A-R-I-A. Akash. But we're pretty yes. sure it's Akash. Yep. And... Um, Obviously, you've heard me and Heather talk about TED Talks an awful lot. Even when we're reviewing another book, we found a reason to go on TED to find out about it. We're talking about a guru. Of course, we look for them on TED Talks. So this was a book which was about providing advice and guidance on how to do a a great speech or talk or, or even deliver any message, really, using some of the lessons that you can learn from watching some great TED Talks. And here was absolutely lovely it wasn't it's not a huge book now I, I've only got it on Kindle but even then I can tell it's quite a small book on Kindle um, as I think I'd quite like to see what it looked like as a hard copy um, but I suspect it would be quite small but also it, if it was mine I'd probably be writing in it a lot mm. as well because it was it it just sparked off lots of thoughts in my head so I, I'm probably going to start by saying he's referenced 
a number of TED Talks and all but one of them I'd already seen and already loved them. So we might have talked about a few of these in the past. Um, The Power of Introverts by Susan Cain, Why Domestic Violence Victims Don't Leave by Leslie Morgan Steiner, Choice Happiness and Spaghetti Sauce by one of our former gurus, Malcolm Gladwell, Uh, Learning from Dirty Jobs by Mike Rowe. I hadn't seen this one before, but it's an absolute delight and I can highly recommend it to everybody. Um, Stroke of Insight by Jill Bolt-Taylor, How Schools Kill Creativity by uh, Ken Robinson, again, another Mm -hmm. former guru. How to Get Your Ideas Spread by Seth Godin, again, another um, former guru. And Your Body Language Shapes Who You Are, an absolute classic by Amy Cuddy. And what he does is he he sort of uses each of these as a case study and picking out examples of why why it's good, why, why they've delivered really well. And in some cases points out where actually they fell a bit flat. So in one of the case studies he looks like looks at, he said, actually, they didn't end that brilliantly. This was great. This was great. But mm, where, where's the, the key message in that? And so each chapter is dedicated to a, a little bit of advice, which starts essentially by... Um, going through um, the speeches. So chapter one, the magic ingredient in in delivering a great TED talk and how to start and the surprising element that makes a story irresistible, how to bring your characters to life, how to create mental motion pictures for your audience. Um, Now, that one, I have to say, if if you want mental motion pictures, (laughs) learning from Dirty Jobs by Mike Rowe. Wow, the the mental pictures that uh, that um, that gave me as I was listening to the talk. As a woman, it made me cringe. But he's talking about castrating lambs. But the images that um, well, they never leave your mind. Yes, <laughs> I, I would imagine if if um, you're a gentleman, you might you might create some other images with that. It, it was. It was the one that I hadn't seen. I went and watched it, and I was absolutely delighted with it as well. But everything that he picked up, I just, yeah, that's, that's really good. He didn't pad out the book, hence why it's probably quite small. Um, and every single chapter had something of real value. Not just that, he references all the talks in detail. Um, there's some bonus content where he actually goes through a whole talk by Seth Godin and, and breaks it down in detail, which I think, you know, is real quality and shows the skill of the writer, actually, that he's able to do this. Uh, you know, sometimes you might look at a TED Talk and go, I love that. I don't know why, but I absolutely love that. Um, and he's generous as well with his free gifts. So he's, he's given away um, access to... Um, e-courses on storytelling, uh, e-books on how to create captivating speech openings, um, top three humour techniques, a PDF guide. And they're all here, absolutely free resources um, to download from his website. So absolutely loved it. can highly recommend it. Heather, tell me you liked it too. I loved it. I loved it. And people listening might be thinking, well, I ain't never going to be giving a TED Talk. But so much of what he says applies to every conversation that you might have, particularly if you are pitching for business, if you're trying to influence or persuade somebody. And so I just took a few of the headings. And this is specifically when he's looking at the Seth Godin um, TED Talk, which is a TED Talk called How to Get Your Ideas to Spread. And um, so he says... Uh, build curiosity with your opening. So as you might do in a conversation, imagine you're sitting across from a potential new client 
Okay, you know, you've got to say so. You've got to open with something that's interesting. Then implicitly promise value. So that's got to be part of what you're saying all the time. Just demonstrate it. You don't need to say quality and value and all, but it's got to just be implied in what you're saying. Uh, Tell stories. Keep your audience engaged with stories. So give examples of where you've, where people have bought your product before, used your product before. Use conversational language, cut away from the jargon. We know that. Um, Make your talk relevant to your audience. So think about how it maps onto the the individual that you're you're talking to. Uh, Use the magic word you and talk about we. So that now it's, it's what's important to you as the customer. That's what you're saying. But then we do this and we do that. So it's very inclusive um, and very, very powerful. And then highlight the problem before you offer the solution. So, you know, find out what the problem is. Don't decide what the problem is and then try and sell the solution. Find out what the actual issue is. And I think that those key things will stand anybody, whether you're whether you're selling coffee or whether you're selling um aerospace products it's it, it, it's 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 a rule of thumb that will stand you in really good stead i love i love the book uh i wish i'd written it <laughs> you know it's one of those books it's like blimey <laughs> yeah this is I, yeah i love it yeah and and what he's he's not doing he's not saying look um this is my thoughts this is my idea this is you know something i've made up and i'm i'm going to preach the gospel on this one he's actually look, this is what the experts are doing. This is a great talk. Let's break it down. Let's find out. And um, I think you can sum it up, the the whole book, by saying that... Now, he says all great TED speakers, and as you say, all great TED speakers, but it might be that you've got to stand up and do a, a quick pitch at a networking meeting. Yeah. It might be that you've just got to run a, a training exercise at work or something like that. And I think all of these apply, even if you, the, you know, break it down into the one-hour meeting you've got at work. And what they've all got in common is that you they tell a story. They're, they're, they're mastering the story. One of the things that really chimed with, with me was quite early on in the book is that grabbing your audience's attention within the first 30 seconds. I've heard that so many times with networking and, you know, you, you go work and walk into a room and people's first impressions of you. And it's the same with, you know, if you're standing up in front of an audience, is, is that if you don't get them within the first 30 seconds, then... You're never you know, going to get you're them. Probably not going to get mm. them back. Mm. And he talks about opening with a story using the example of Susan Cain on The Power of Introverts. She starts off with a story about going off to summer camp, but she paints this story. She doesn't even introduce herself. He makes a very good point is that the host should have introduced you. Yeah. You don't need to stand up and say, hello, I'm Tracy and I'm going to tell you about this and the result of this will be this. She just launches off saying that she went to summer camp. And, you know, you might think originally, oh, well, what's what's this got to do with the story and where's this relevant? But as soon as you start thinking those things, then you're hooked. You're engaged because you're trying to work out what the connection is between her going to summer camp at nine and you being in a hall listening to her speaking. So um, the best way to thank your audience rather than saying thank you for being here is, is to actually provide him with something interesting to listen to. I, I love that little sentence in his book. Thank your audience. You know, the gratitude is that you've actually prepared a really engaging, interesting and involving talk. 
So, Heather, would you use this practically yourself? Was there anything in there where you thought, you know, I never thought of that? Because you are a great communicator. You teach communication. And so most of this you've probably already woven in. I I already remember having some coaching off you on, on communication techniques and it was about telling the story. What was it about this book that that was so pleasing for you that you didn't already know? Well, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I know it all. And and also um I'm I'm aware of you know things that I forget or things that I've stopped doing. What I like about this book is that it is very clear. It applies to communication in general. You don't need to be given a TED talk. I'd love to give a TED talk. Of course I would. Um, but it, it's just really well structured. It's really well written. You know, it's easy to read. Sometimes you pick up a book and you just think, OK, I really want to read this book, but I'm, I'm really struggling. And I think that... Um, the way that he structured it and the giveaways that he's giving and, as you say, the way that he backs up everything that he says. But but one thing that um, really resonated with me is when you think about storytelling, the group of people who are really, really good at this are comedians. Yes. A really good comedian who you are prepared to s- sit and watch for the, the whole duration of their joke, their story. It's always a story. And, and there's sometimes stories nested exactly, within stories as exactly. well. That's the craft of that. Exactly. Even if, you know, it, it's they start off with something and then they sort of say, but I'm not going to tell you about that. I'm going to tell you about this. And then that links up. And, th- and then in the end, you come full circle. And actually, a good sales pitch, a good talk, a good comedian they should take you full circle and there should be a neat ending you shouldn't be left going okay so what and I think that's what he, he yeah he talks about the wrap-up as well yes, yeah. he takes you through the whole yeah because you don't want to hear something and then go that was great but what does it mean to me <laughs> you know so I yeah I, I love it yes yeah, so, so thank the, you for recommending it yeah um it was my pleasure absolutely it's called TED Talk Storytelling 23 Storytelling Techniques from the Best TED Talks. And the author is Akash Karia. Guru. We do love the word guru here on the business community. <laughs> uh, and this week's guru is somebody who was the fir- my first encounter with a personal development book. It was the first book I ever, ever had. But I had it on cassette uh, and I so listened to it to it quite yeah. a long time ago and I listened to it in my little Peugeot car and it was uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey or Covey, however you want to say it, but Covey is, I I've think, I've always said correctly. Covey, but I don't know. I've yeah, never seen I think it written it's, down, really. Yes, I think it's Covey. So you'll probably have heard his name mentioned before. I mean, you've probably heard of this book, but it, it really opened my eyes into a whole world of a, a different way of thinking because you sort of think well what is a highly effective person and surely there are more than seven things that you need to be doing <laughs> in order to be one but actually he distills it very simply and and he speaks my language now I don't know if if it's because it was the first book that I had or not but he, he speaks my language and he seems to be coming at it from a from a person-centred approach rather than a do this, do, don't do that and do, you know, do the other. Um, you've come across him as well, haven't you, Tracy? Yeah, and I, I came across him initially um, from the therapeutic side. So that sort of makes sense. Um, you talk about person-centred. Well, um, the guy that inspires a lot of people, I think he inspired Ernesto Sorolli, we talked about last week, is Carl Rogers, who developed the, the concept of person-centred counselling. And I, I've used... Um, 
a concept called the circle of concern in the therapy work. And for so many people, it's been um, a, a light bulb moment. Essentially, you've got a big circle and in that circle are all the things that concern you, that you worry about, that you expend your energy mm -hmm. on. And within that huge circle is a small circle, a subset within there, which is your circle of influence. That's the stuff that you can actually do something about. Yep. So if somebody's spending a lot of energy worrying about everything in their circle, I would talk them through the process of moving it out of the circle of concern and either moving it out of the circle altogether or promoting it and putting it into the circle of influence. So if they can influence it, do something about it. If they can't, move it out of the circle and stop spending the energy on it. And it's such a powerful technique. And that's the first time I heard of Stephen Covey myself. Right. Well, and that, that, so of the seven habits, there are three. The first one is proactive. The second one is bleeding obvious, isn't it? But it's begin with the end in mind. Know what you're trying to achieve. Think about what you want in the future. But just feeding on to what you were saying the habit number three is put first things first and this is focusing on what is important and urgent what is important and not urgent not important and urgent and not important and not urgent and it that fits very much with the circle that, that you've just been talking about Tracy and he the book itself invites you to think about your own circumstance you better finish the seven off Oh, sure. oh, I was going to move on. OK, I was going to move on to the next. Sorry. OK, let's have the rest of the list. OK, so then four is think win-win. Five, this is my favourite one. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. Six is synergize. Bring people together. You know, different people have different skill sets. Bring them together. Positive teamwork. Seven, sharpen the saw. And that's what we're trying to do here on the show, actually, <laughs> is give you the tools to sharpen the saw. Think about investing in yourself. Look at physical renewal. Think about feeding yourself, whether it's information or whether it's you know, on a spiritual level. But make sure that you, you do that for yourself. But the book does invite you to think about your own circumstances. And there are two key questions that, that Covey asks what one thing could you do that you aren't doing now that if you did it on a regular basis would make a, tr a tremendous positive difference to your personal life? So he starts with that. And then he says, what one thing in your business or professional life would bring similar results, depending on what you wanted to achieve? So thinking from a business point of view, what one thing in your business would actually make a tremendous positive. So focus on that, you know, and think about that rather than getting, oh, there's so many things that I could do. Hang on, what would, choose one thing and focus on that. It's a good book. So I, I haven't got that book, but um, I got um, The Speed of Trust, which I think was um, published around 2006. Um, and he looks at, um, the, the, you know, essentially that trust is key to, mm, to growing your mm, business and, mm. and your personal relationships. He talked about four cores of credit. He likes numbering things, clearly. He does. Four cores of credibility, which are integrity, intent, capabilities and results. So in, essentially, integrity is are you congruent? Intent is what's your agenda? Capabilities is are you relevant? And results is what's your track record? And then he goes on to talk about 13 behaviours that help you to build trust, um, organisational trust, market trust, societal trust. So yeah, that's a really nice little book in itself. And we will put a link for that. I think we photographed it as well because I've actually brought it with me. 
unlike Heather's, uh, mine is in readable format, not on a cassette tape. Yes, yes, cassette. I used to drive around in my car listening to it. Um, it's interesting that you say that you've got the speed of trust because whilst researching Covey, I, I completely missed um, a book that he has written, which I can't find the title of now off the top of my head. The third something. Third alternative. Third alternative, I beg your pardon for that, uh, which I've just ordered because that talks about uh, conflict, uh, which is often a massive part you know you do all of these things you put all these things in place and then there will be resistance from other people and it's how you manage your way through that so um i i shall update you on that one when i've had a chance to look at it i, th- I think with stephen covey um it, it, he was a little bit ahead of his time again we're eventually following we're, we're now starting to see in the business world in in the real world out there not just in academia is that there is a focus on leadership as opposed to management mm. and and i think that is where he was coming from there was a rather sneery obituary piece about him in the, in the telegraph so he rather sadly died following a bicycle accident in 2012 um he was a fair old age but i'm 79 sure, riding 79. his bike around yeah um but they referred to him as a self-help guru and they put lots of things in inverted commas. And, of course, you know, he was advising these um, Bill Clinton and Tony Blair and this and that. There was a sense of, yeah, because he's, he's talking about these wishy-washy, management-y, leadership-y type things. But actually, it, it's really coming out now. Just so, in yeah, that six years so since valuable. he died. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he is named by um, Times, Time magazine as one of the top 25 most influential Americans. Oh, um, and his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, was named by Forbes as one of the top in the top 10 of most influential books of the 20th century. So we're at that point where we're at the end of the show and we need to choose a quote oh. by our guru. Oh, <laughs> What have you got? There okay. are so many. All right. There, I've, I've already mentioned the seek first to understand, then to be understood. But the one that I love, and I use this a lot in the work that I do, most people do not listen with the intent to understand they listen with the intent to reply excellent just so powerful that and uh, i'm stuck for choice here but i'm i'm gonna go for management is efficiency in climbing the ladder of success leadership determines whether the ladder is leaning against the right wall So that just about rounds things up for this afternoon. We've thoroughly enjoyed ourselves and I hope there's been something of use or of interest to you or simply food for thought. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.